Graphic Nature acknowledges the Bunwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show and pay our respects to Elders past, present and future. We also extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation, that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. We have found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents them. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine. Will be mine. Welcome to Graphic Nature, a podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers, and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined by Michael Fakaris, comics creator, artist, and Platinum Ledger Award winner for services uh, towards comics here in Australia. Michael, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Aaron. Hi. Hi. <laughs> So good, good to have an introduction and hear the perspective here. Well, I mean, you know, from from everything that I read about you, and, and I, I'm struggling to remember. I could have sworn that I've spoken to you before, uh, maybe about four or five years ago, and it was shortly after you did um, the comic with the uh, with the Indonesian cat. I believe it was then we interviewed you on Triple R for the same show. But yeah, I feel like we've definitely met before on the airwaves. Yeah. But it's nice to see you here on Zoom. But um, I love your podcast. It's it's great to be invited and talk about this uh, subject we're passionate about. And I can see you're very passionate. Uh, a great diversity of characters in our amazing community. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, not as many as I would as I would like. Unfortunately, it's um it's a little tough yeah. time wise. And I swear to God, Michael, if I could do this Monday to Friday and it could actually support my family, I would fucking do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose I bet. it's a pretty much the way it is for everybody really isn't it who wouldn't want yeah. to uh, sit there and either talk or, or make comics for, you know <laughs> for their for, you know for well their... this is a good topic starter because that is the challenge the balance I imagine it was yeah somehow. for a lot of people this balancing mm-hmm. act mm-hmm. yeah and certainly in this medium uh yeah and for me since we're talking about me in this medium it's become a, a little easier in time but it still is that that you mentioned that that balance and that challenge of doing the things that you love making a living and fitting it all in how how did you how did you start into comics cuz uh, according to your website you you started in comics and now you've branched out in in the in the convening years into you know greater aspects of of artistry how did how did comics mm. first come about for you yeah well comics yeah that's that's the question, isn't it? How did I sort of come across it? I guess it sort of came across me as as um, as we know as comics, like the sequential mm-hmm. narrative, as someone who drew a lot. I love to draw and always have, and I was encouraged when I was mm-hmm. little. So I sort of stumbled across comics, probably like a lot of people um, in their similar environments in different areas, you know, things that are sequential narratives and images, 
but really that sort of love of drawing and the idea of drawing that's similar to just going to a place on your own and making something, you know, into sort of a space, a headspace, and that affordability of time or just access to the things that are very affordable, or especially for me uh, when I was young and getting into this, which is pens and paper and time. But um, if you're looking for like initial titles or things, Mm -hmm. I actually came, I was brought up by my mother with influence from my grandparents where I stayed a lot. And my grandfather was in printing. So he did bookbinding. So, and my mother actually worked at a newspaper press. So I've actually loved print and press and been brought up around it a lot. And I really enjoyed that. And I think that was quite an influence just even the process of it. And I really, I think it was my mother when I was still quite young that sort of introduced me to what I guess you'd call today zine making, which I'm very passionate about, which we know in this country is a very close parallel to the comics industry or those nearest things for survival and income and recognition. A lot of very passionate comic makers self-publish on magazines. So that was sort of my origins in a way, but really for titles, I think it was experimenting and um, enjoying friendships with people. It wasn't until I sort of saw Zap yeah, right. really as a publication yep. that I really was turned on to like wanting to make comics. And it was sort of from an older, like a friend's older brothers under their bed, you know, a weird box of comics <laughs> that I recall only Zap is the one that I sort of just went, wow, it had that, it had like a, um, a PowerPoint up the butt, you know, and it was a crumb drawing that just like blew my yeah. mind as probably an 11 or 12 year old. (laughs) And I had to seek those out. And of course, those things were pretty hard to get in this country. And this is going way back. This is the 90s or even early when I was that age. So it took me a while to find them. But that was kind of like a title, I guess, that was really an inspiring gateway for drugs. Uh, Whoops, (laughs) comics. (laughs) Same kind of thing, really, isn't it? Depending on your perspective. It is. It's addictive habit. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, amen to that. Well, that's really cool, man. Uh, I must say that uh, I I didn't have such a, a colourful introduction. Mine was, mine was pretty much the typical going in the newsagent as a kid, and then um, just being blown away by, you know, shit that was on the stands, things like uh, Transformers, which I was in love with at the time, and I would have been what eleven or twelve. It would have been nineteen eighty something, and uh, yeah, but but as seeing Zap. As your first comic that blew your mind. That's that's pretty far out, man. I reckon, yeah, that was the 80s as well. And yeah, and I have heard you say that on this um, podcast and interviewing with other people. And it is, that's an interesting part. Of course, uh, a crucial element when you're meeting someone and you're chatting about your obsession. But it's more along these, the growing path where it becomes relevant and the choices mm. as well. So, you know, seeing Zap was one influence, but I don't, now, if that's still that main influence, do you consider Transformers still even for, I know you haven't, um, you don't really call yourself a, a creator of comics per se. You've written a lot, I hear, and you like to draft yeah. and, and prepare them. But even as a, as a consumer fan or a, a person within the community, is Transformers still one that you get into? Uh, not, not necessarily in terms of comics. Like it was, it was one of those things where, you know, as I've stated many times, you you know, my first comics was Garfield and then, and then there was, you know, collections of Phantom and Mandrake and all that kind of stuff through, 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 you know, primary school and, you know, stuff that my family would buy me. But yeah. essentially that was the, the connection that I made is when I saw Transformers as a comic, 
you know, yeah. so going, wow, I really loved Garfield. And then when you see something that you loved as a kid, like in terms of cartoons, then yeah. represented in a comic book form, that's what really blew my mind. And I was like, hang on a second, what is this? Yeah. And so then, you know, that, that was essentially my gateway, like proper where it was now I really have to have this. Whereas before it was just like, yes. you know, you, you treat it as what it was, just the funnies. You would read it, you'd have a laugh and you go, okay. But it was seeing the catalyst was, was seeing, you know, something that you cherished and then creating a comic form and then going, holy shit. Like, a, you know, as a child, yes. your brain goes, starts making the connections. And then through that, yes. you start seeing other things. And then I've stated many times, you know, it wasn't until much older that I started gaining respect for, for local stuff. And depending on your perspective, there were a lot of cats that I worked with in the comic shop back in the, in the early 90s that loved Aussie stuff. But there was yeah. such a small amount yeah. of it. And and it was yeah. it wasn't readily available like it is now. We didn't have indie comic cons, and you know we didn't have creators at, at we didn't have the you know what is it um the photo, festival of the photocopier. We didn't have these yeah, outlets, and so yeah. it's it's been interesting yeah. like the the pervasiveness of comics these days versus what it was twenty years ago. Yeah, it's very exciting times for it like that, and that you know. I guess when you say like that gateway, yeah, it's interesting when you're talking to people, I mean, you personally, when you're talking to people's own and you ask that question because it's not just necessarily the title that you see, but, you know, you see drawing and you see things that are related to this medium, but, and I've heard uh, many people say this and on your podcast as well, of course, comics are within daily print media, let alone within the structures of um, communication that we recognize. And so obviously you're gonna find things in the library and sure, I, I did see Garfield, but I think it was Zach that reminded me of what I felt in my drawing and what was possible in the communication of a drawing and what was possible in comics that I could see myself as being interested yep. in. And remembering what I'm interested in, I'm talking as drawing as like a tool that is really for well-being. you know, something that, which I still talk about today passionately with younger people and other peers that, you know, it's a thought process and it's something that is a social engagement as well as a, a personal discovery that is really important for the individual. I still firmly believe whether it was seeing it in Zap or in comic sense and in proof in, in real life, um, that if people draw each day, they have a greater sort of consciousness and awareness with themselves and their surroundings. And this is, you know, it's kind of a spiritual trip and this is what art is part of. So that's part of my journey ever since seeing something mm -hmm. like Zap and knowing um, how great it affects the individual. Of course, comics as an industry and a, um, as another consumable yeah. are, are another thing again, you know, because when it comes to making a living and just thinking about how exciting it is when um, stuff is fanatical, that's cool too. That's just another yeah. thing. Yeah, I was, I was actually thinking about that this morning. It, co comics represent particularly these days there is so you know the the medium itself has transcended so many different areas of life and and it depending on which country you're from or you live in you know that that level of pervasive pervasiveness is is different you know it might be higher it might be lower in some countries like you know considering that you know a lot of the japanese stuff was born out of all the comics from the forties and the fifties from America. And then they've just taken, they've just taken it and ran with it. And it's, and it's so pervasive in their culture. Whereas the Americans, there's still a, a large portion of that, of that society that just, just look on it. And uh, you know, for lack of a better word, shit on it, you know, much like, much like here in Australia too. <laughs> yeah. And I know this is an interest of yours, which is the industry 
you know, like I say, when I, I feel a little separated from that, even though I still, the capitalist within me is, is I'm still in, <laughs> in, in society and I still use these things, but it's not a driving force of the work, um, whether I'm, you know, making small press of collected works, um, which I take great pride in working with mm -hmm. others or whether it's doing my own work as an artist in, you know, the white cube environment or uh, working in a commercial yep. sense. In my experience, it's still got to be driven a little bit. The priority is still got to be driven by a sort of um, passion for the work. Oh, I agree. I, but that can be a lot. I, right, I agree. I think that's kind of the, the hardest part is, you know, most, most people, let's say in Australia that are working for comics, it's a very, very, very minute percentage that do it as a, can actually survive on, making comics and it's generally the ones that have got who are signed or who have connections to uh, international markets or you know assigned to international publishing companies uh majority of people i've ever met through my life that are working on comics uh, they're doing other things that are helping them create and be able to put yeah. because it is essentially a labor of love and no one gets into comics to make money and anybody who does is you know good luck uh, you know that's all i got to say is you know very very yes few people good make. luck and and but it's great to be in love so it's a labor of love and <laughs> to be able to work on something you love is uh, is a great privilege right so that's pretty awesome oh absolutely we've got to take oh, that absolutely absolutely yeah but it's I, i'm not i'm not shitting on them uh, don't get me wrong it's 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 just that <laughs> you know uh, for the most part a lot of a lot of the people who have even even some of the cats who have you know, who have published for some of the bigger major companies, you know, it's, it's always a fleeting moment. And there's only very few who, who, you know, even in the States, you know, you're talking about a broader population and even a lot of the people there that are working in independent comics may not necessarily be able to survive on the stuff that they're creating. And that's not knocking their love. I'm just thinking from the perspective of being able to continue to make comics and, and to have a life that you would want depending on, you know, where you're coming from or, you know, you know, what, what you're Absolutely. looking at. So, yes. Oh, a friend, uh, a friend who's an American who's worked in that, like for dark horse and eclipse yep. and stuff. Um, who's remind, he lives in Cambodia now, John Weeks is a, is a bit of a mentor and an, uh, an elder to me. He's reminding me all the time of people like even Dorkin, I think was the latest one I was talking about doing public fundraising campaigns for their dental and stuff as they get older. And he's always like, Oh, it's just pretty sad to see these people who worked so hard. He thought they were really successful. Yeah. But in that industry, like you say, that it seemed like he had, you know, hits in the comic stores or at least on an alternative level where depending on what he did with his life, he may have had too many children or something. <laughs> yeah. So things might have happened. But he's always discouraged to see that uh, a lot of these people are still really struggling, you know, in their sort of retirement, you know, inverted commas, retirement age. But, yeah, I definitely, as a person growing up and admiring comics and loving them, was aware that, not only is it going to be very hard to make a living as any type of creative. I was brought up in North Queensland, mm -hmm. by the way. So I was always outdoors a lot. And anyone, when you're, when you're sort of like an art fag, you were just shunned and misunderstood. Yeah. Um, so that was always like a bit of a weight that you carried. You had to sort of try and lift off. <laughs> but the, um, the ongoing reality of not wanting to sit at a desk, to be honest, and I've never wanted to be a full-time cartoonist. I admire people who can yeah. do that. Like I know people who are professionals who work in this field and just chatting with a friend, Hanselman, I'm sure you know Simon Hanselman's fantastic work, who I just cannot believe he has not gotten RSI yet. You know I mean? This dude is working overtime yeah. 
And I don't know how people sit at a desk so long. I've got to go out and do something else. I got to go after like four hours. And even if I'm lucky enough to be practicing for that three months on all my art projects, I've got to paint. I've got to go and do some other things. I've got to go and walk and think. And obviously cartoonists do this as well, but a full-time cartoonist, wow, there is a Zen body maintenance (laughs) that I think perhaps there's certain body uh, makes, uh, you know, there's certain um, types of bodies that are better at it because I don't know if everyone's built for that. uh, My frame may be too large to, to be sitting at a desk. And um, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, The Manga Apartments. No. Um, it was a friend, Clint Shure. I don't know if you heard of Clint Shure, an amazing, another mentor who's an elder in my community that showed me this when I was really young and dabbling with this um, cursed gateway drug. I mean, the hobby that is comics. And he showed me this movie, which is, I'm pretty sure you can find it online now, The Manga Apartments, highly recommended. And it shows the competitive nature between a counterculture era of Japanese sort of I think it's like early 80s, but it's somewhere between a a real, it's a film, but it feels almost like a documentary. And it's these apartments that are all trying to finish the most amount of pages in a week. And it's filled with kind of dark humor on the creative process for cartoonists and how they sit and they have hardly anything around them other than pages and their tools, which are quite minimal. But yeah, it's a good one. Depressing as fuck, actually. I can imagine... Worth the seeing. stories I've heard about uh, some of those manga publishing houses is horrendous where they just, I mean, and those guys. That's my story for you. Yeah, they, they just they just pump out like just so much. Yeah, like, like, like what DC used to have. You'd have a house style and so you needed to, you had a whole bunch of guys drawing exactly the same to pump out, you know, a 300-page book in a few months or whatever it is. I would like to speak to you about your process. It, it, actually, before we go there, before we go there, I do want to speak to you about the, where is it? You were, were you gave a talk at um, Future of Comics, which is the, you were talking about the Australian small press comics or your collection of it. I was meant to give a talk. Oh, it didn't happen. Um, yeah, this was about to, it was actually uh, when this pandemic hit, I was at NGV Art Book Fair, one of my favorite trade fairs uh, for what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And half of the stalls were emptying out. Right. And I realized I'm, I was going in two days on a large um, journey and a very exciting journey with many things in tail. I won't go into all the details, but one of them was uh, Fumetto, a festival in Europe that, um, yeah, is an awesome profile of artists. And, um, and I was to take with me um, a publication of Australian artists printed by a European publisher, uh, an outfit I love, Kush Comics. Mm-hmm. And part of that was we'd set up a few events and that was to be one of them. And yeah, the people who run that are very exciting. We've talked a lot online, but the actual real life event didn't happen. They tried to do that sort of stuff online, but it was actually really difficult Yeah, right. without an audience. So there was another thing I was... There's quite a few things, but there's another thing um, like that next week that was meant to happen. I was really excited about relating to public installation as well, like painting a mural that didn't happen with that same festival. But uh, I don't know what else can I tell you about it was um, from memory, um, you know, I just sort of come up with that brief. Yep. And I've sort of presented a few ideas and I love, you know, critical thinking in general. Mm-hmm. And I'm a student of um, life as on a whole. Yep outside of this medium that we love, but art as a three-letter word 
is something I love to talk about. How did they approach you? Well, like I say, it was sort of tied in a little bit with the publication Down, Down, Under. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you had a chance to see this, but it's a collection that I put together in 2019, the end of 2019. Well, the majority of 2019, but it's uh, 20 artists. And I sort of put it together with Kush and it's a yeah collection of short stories. Yep. I don't know if you've seen this, but it no, sort of came through that and them becoming aware of it and asking for some input. Um, also, so I've been to some of these things before and maybe the last, uh, where do I begin here? I guess there's, a you know, my ongoing research in this field, and I guess you could call it alternative comics, mm -hmm. has gone back to when I really put a lot of effort and time into my community and, and began collaborating under a sort of imprint, the name Silent Army, yep. which are used as sort of like a an anthology publishing imprint, yep. which was sort of a sort of thought up thing pretty quickly. It wasn't meant to go for a long time. And as it sort of ran its path as a... Um, like a collective and a bunch of us working together. Part of that was me. I moved abroad and lived in Canada and, and looked at a lot of, you know, continue my research there, if you like. Not that I was calling it research at the time. It was a lifestyle being part of it. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and, but Canada, this is like 2004. Yep. Uh, was a hot time. You know, it was a really exciting time here, there, everywhere for, for this medium, I think, because we'd seen this sort of, outcome of those incredible American things, as well as the influence of Asian and European similar bodies, mm -hmm. you know, these sort of graphic um, collections yep. and comics. But I guess what uh, what happened from there was that I continued this research and continued making anthologies and continued doing whatever I could in these this sort of force of nature that it's sort of begun from anthologies and collecting like-minded people that were pretty much making either short stories or graphic narratives or illustrated sequentials, whatever you want to call them, mm -hmm. uh, with, with or without support. So they had different sort of outcomes a lot of the time, and I've done a lot of them. And it just sort of picked up stays here and there, um, which is sort of what the, uh, you know, took about for the Ledger Awards, Australian Comics Awards, was what they were acknowledging as well, because these are sort of peers and people like Clint Cura that I mentioned that were that encouraged me, and I'd done the same for others and, and continue to. Somewhere along the line, I started to go to Europe, I think, mainly on a couple of different influences and opportunities. So together with my fine arts practice or whatever you want to call it, painting, installations, and with printing and printmaking, ended up in Europe and ended up meeting some of these people and discussing and be like, look, I'll come back next year. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that felt sort of unfolded. And sometimes places like Fermetto, there can be opportunities met if you can get there as we know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and i'm sure you know we all miss opportunities and sometimes you're like well i'll try and tie that in with yeah i think i was in england doing a mural project i'm like i'll come over to france and do this and then i'll go up to switzerland and do this and you know you try and extend it all <laughs> yeah and yeah, while you're up whichever there, means well possible. that's right yeah, yeah. and as we know you know when we talk about you know the industry which here can be sort of lost on us because of our our space yeah. in terms of, you know, literal distribution of a publication, you know, something like a talk can go a long way or things like this, where you can discuss it together, mm -hmm. just like a meeting would be in person. And yeah. Fermetto is about that, but really exciting to me because the future of comics is also an archive. And this is actually something I talked a lot, you know, I sort of talked a lot with people. I did a residency in Portugal, I should say, in Olavish at a um, comics library yep. um, in 2017. 
And I learned a lot about some of the community there and the connections. So a lot of my research goes to Asia, which is where, you know, we live. I'm trying to, as much as I'm, you know, Eurocentric, I'm trying to also learn a post-colonial language, which is an indigenous or Asian perspective on this medium, which is not only modern, yep. but is, you know, a futurist version, meaning that it's an ancient language drawing and communicating through this medium, mm -hmm. I feel is, um, yeah, is, is essential to human living. So it goes back to, you know, the graffiti in Roman times. It goes back to the caves in the catacombs. It goes back to all these elements where there's comics found, yep. right? The hieroglyphs. Yeah, exactly. So where am I going? So the, the, the future of comics really had a lot of this. And so, did you look at the... Um, I did check it out. And it was just by happenstance. I was, I was actually looking up your name to see what you've been doing in the last couple of years. And that came I up. I see. That came up. And uh -huh. um, I was intrigued. Uh, it's basically they are a collect... Because it, it's a program within the festival. Right. And the person who runs it is... And they are academic also. They're very academic from all the stuff that I read. But they also encourage, because I'm occasionally um, invited to things as I wouldn't call myself academic. I like to, um, I like to think and discuss things, mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't I have so much of an academic practice, yeah. but it is put together with really um, crucial elements of the medium. And this is what I guess um, Europe has always done, I suppose, in art is bring in different perspective where possible. Yep. Yeah, the program had, I think, about 10 different people and uh, an exciting part of it for me, and this is maybe why I was put onto it by the festival and, and through Kush and stuff as well, was because they have a library and they were collecting works from different places. And I, when I did this um, residency in Portugal um, at their comics library in the, in the city of Lisboa, I, I learned a lot about the crucial elements of collecting and sharing knowledge, mm -hmm. which I had also learned in... Indonesia. And of course, you know, we all love libraries. I mean, you, you're saying like, see Garfield at the library or, or you know, yeah. we all see stuff at the library mm -hmm. uh, anyway. If we're lucky enough to, we know how important that is. But these sorts of items that we love, which are often small press or even the comics that are popular are sometimes pulped and not necessarily reprinted regularly. Mm -hmm. And so they're perhaps harder to find than some of the other things. So they have specialist libraries and they're trying to make it accessible for people who are getting deeper into it because I think it's being acknowledged as we can really see now, after, you know, sort of during this pandemic, how important it is to be able to access information to things online and that sort of stuff. So part of it was to do that. And I guess part of my mission in Future of Comics is is knowing that it is a language beyond just the fanatic. It is, it is about connections and that the, the average, or not the average, just like ev the every person, mm -hmm. the working person, the reading person, or even people who don't necessarily read the language can enjoy this medium. Yeah, yeah it's and interesting. The, and that's what they're doing, exploring the comics like in a contemporary sort of fashion in a globalized world, I think is sort of that term, right? Yeah. That's that's really what intrigued me when I when I started looking into it and started reading it. Uh, sadly, uh, there wasn't enough information. It would have been nice to have some of those talks, uh, you know, as as a as being able to revisit some of those talks. And I know you've just mentioned. Well, that's an is essentially how I thought it was. I didn't realize that they hadn't gone ahead. But uh, it 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 was. I had a lot of things planned in 2020, <laughs> like a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah. And yeah. Um, the guy who sort of organizes the future of comics, Ilan Manouche, I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name correct, but for anyone listening who's interested in this sort of stuff, 
And sort of conceptual comics he does is this thing called Monoscope. Okay. M-O-N-O-S-K-O-P dot org. Fascinating. And he is one of maybe sort of five influences of my archiving mission and current obsession, which is to, I've just started, I've done 200 titles. I started this year. I had a small bit of support financially, which is always like we've already touched on one of the crucial parts to continuing work regularly, Mm -hmm. especially when it's researched, because sometimes that's misunderstood by the average, or should I say the every person. Um, And the amount of research that goes into whether it's everyday products or specialist products like these educational pieces and conceptual learning and, um, you know, things that help us in life. But he has an incredible online accessible archive, Monoscope. I like the, the platform of that. And I'm trying it with Silent Army to turn it into, you know, it started with sort of publishing and it became for a while like a hub and a community slash storeroom, Silent Army storeroom. And I, I want to, you know, turn it into more like a reading room or an archive um, environment. So that's something, you know, that I was really excited to meet those guys and see more like I did uh, with the, the group that's in Portugal that I met was Chili Com Carne. And they do like the name, do Chili with Meat. They sort of do like a variety of comics, but conceptual is a term that I guess I can relate to because the comics are sometimes within the medium, but not necessarily the, the you know, when you, when you say Garfield, Transformers and Zap, they got something in common with all of them, but they mightn't look like any of them. Mm-hmm. You know, so places like that are uh, really inspiring. I could, I could, could ramble on and on and on, but I'd say look them up, man, if you want to know more about that. They um, all, they all actually sound really, yeah, a lot of that stuff sounds really interesting. And considering talking about archiving and, and uh, this mission that you stated, I've had many conversations over the last maybe year and a bit, pretty much going that way and, and seeing what the possibility is of creating something here in Melbourne that actually that you know the you know having a comics library that spans the entire spectrum not just looking at zines but looking at other things in particular so whether it be medical uh, medical instructional books or you know anything that has a nar- a visual narrative or a visual language connected in one place yeah you know talking about the archive another one i was really taken by other than the the olivash library in lisbon um, which i mentioned in portugal um, and this one i was just talking about you know the conceptual comics with monoscope is also the indonesian visual art archives which similar to like here recently places like melbourne art library have opened up i don't know if you've heard of that no in the Nicholas haven't. building where is it in the Nicholas building yeah so you know and this this is literally archiving artists catalogs and artist books which uh was about 2003 it was before i moved to canada that i put together a book which bernard was in uh, in fact that i i put i guess artists that i that i knew that made print-based work or were drawing or doing something that was on paper even works on paper mm-hmm. as artists as well as comic artists that i'd met um throughout my life up until that point but i, I put together this pretty average bound book because I was actually working in printing myself at the time. So the binding was pretty average, but I went over to the TCAF. I don't know if you heard of that. It's pretty famous for the alternative comics, Toronto Comic Arts Festival oh, yep. in Toronto back in 2004. Shared a table with Top Shelf, who I was meant to do a book with. Long story. Basically, the book that I took was called True Fantasy, and it was filled with fine artists, um, artists who work on paper, graffiti artists, people who were doing stencils, Uh, people who were making basically their own print. And I asked everyone to either give me something I printed up for them or print their own work and I bind it into this 
basically an A4 book. Some of them were different sizes. It couldn't be bigger than A4. Yeah. And I took this pretty ridiculous book, which I've since put into other collections. When I say ridiculous, ridiculous for a comic arts festival because I was like, whoa, hang on, this is good, but what's this? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess the term outsider art comes into this mix as well. But it was there was a lot of conceptual work and people who really taught me a lot, people like Tim Danko, who's really crucial, and even Mandy Ord, who when I first met her was doing a lot of paintings in empty buildings or studied painting but become, you know, who was, of course, well-known for her cartooning and graphic storytelling, but also done a lot of um, wonderful works on paper that are related to it. This was the stuff that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And so when to talk about the future of comics to me would be um, and I guess where I'm going here with this is the archives. You can find these things. So a place like Melbourne Art Library, the majority of it mightn't be necessarily what you and I could be interested in, but you could find something that's a catalogue from a show um, that's maybe 1983 in Brisbane that two of the artists were pretty much cartoonists when you look at it. Right. And, you know, I think it was, uh, I can't remember, it was the McSweeney's Anthology, that great American publication that put out a comics collection maybe 15 years ago, about that time, 2004, that's really reminded me, people like Tim Danker, reminded me that, you know, artists like Philip Guston and these sort of painters who were using comics within their work without necessarily calling themselves comic artists was just as relevant to the storytelling aspect. And this is really a beautiful thing, I think, in my research so far in places like Jog Jakarta and, and, and places of, most of Europe and mm-hmm. you know, most places here, a lot of places have looked, they exist, but they, you don't find them published. And so even to find one copy or the 10 copies that they made of proofs or that perhaps they sent them to other people to try and publish, yep. that's what these archives to me would be really interesting. I get what you mean when you say the, um, you know, the Ikea catalogs and those things that are relative to comics, but even online you could see, uh, I guess there could be papers or essays that could relate to that shit. But yeah. then to actually see the printed item when you go like, no way, look at this. Like one I collected a while ago was someone who just blanked out all the images but left all the word balloons in these old sci-fi comics. Yeah. And it's just fascinating to look at. But this is one off, of course, but it's a, an object when you flick through it and you're reading it, you're, you're thinking more what the images could be. And, of course, the object itself is quite fat because all the paper is painted. So it's just an interesting-looking object. This is the sort of stuff that um, I want to see in an archive. And yeah, the Indonesian Visual um, Art Archive, IVAA, was fascinating. So I was meant to go there this year and do a residency there and study a lot of their collection because in Indonesia is a, uh, especially in Jogja, is a, uh, a really rich community of art that um, is quite different to how we make art here. Yeah. And again, quite different to how people make art in Europe. That's a lot of stuff I'm saying, but yeah, but the archive... <laughs> If I mentioned it to Bernard was, it was with a friend Saftar who I did a project with. I met through a dear friend, Sam Warman years ago. And Saftar Ahmed is uh, an amazing artist. And Saftar and I really got along more on our collecting nerddom as well as what we did. But through Sam did a great project that was in touch with a lot of um, subjects. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm trying to say there was the... Um, Lost my train of thought. Talking about the idea of meeting people and collecting their stuff. Oh, yes. And so it was Safdar's launch and Safdar brought it up. And then, I, of course, I had to ramble to Bernard to 10 minutes like I just did to you. <laughs> Which, of course, he took with greater praise and, um, you know, enjoyed hearing this story. But it, the the archive is actually, I could share it with your listeners if you like. And I shared it with Elizabeth. I've got 200 titles up. 
and I got a librarian to help, but I reckon I've got, I've got a storage space with another friend that we share. And I so have this, over the this, years. Is this digital or uh, physically? The what goal would be to have both, right. but at the, currently I have a physical collection. So this is, you know, my life's collection, but maybe in the last 10 years, I've really focused on like, ah, uh, this would be great to have a copy. Can I buy this off your, you know, challenge people to give me one of, or try to collect, you know, people like Tim Dan, I try to collect every single piece. Cause I'm like, Tim, people have to see this because yeah. not enough people saw it and then I can digitize it. Uh, but of course we know that takes um, research and labor in another yeah, level, yeah. but that's a goal. And I, I feel like, yeah, to go back to like the future of comics, how relevant um, it is when you meet these like-minded groups that perhaps it's not easier, but perhaps it's it's an older tradition and something that's a little more established yep. or at least a little more connected and the opportunities there are a bit easier. Yeah, right. But yeah, you can see theirs and you can see the one I've started. There's a similarity. It's not like I'm copying anyone, but just with the librarians that I got assistance with and the community centre that's very kindly put up their hand that's nearby where I am in the north here in Melbourne, to have a collection like Front Yard. I don't know if you've heard of Front Yard or IRL. And these are great sort of artist archiving. A lot of them are, I guess, IRL, which is sort of more um, radical left-leaning information, which is often hard to find, uh, you know, essays and truth elements unless you're academic. So it's for people to research things. And this is the power of books, obviously. Mm -hmm. And Front Yard is similarly like it's like zines and decorative artworks that builds communities and people come and hang out there. Uh, You know, places like Sticky, which we're so used to now for 20 years here and Luke and the gang, you know, when we started, that was probably not meant to go this long, (laughs) but he can't really stop now because he's indebted, you know, the community It requires their continuation. I think that, so but I think that's what's important. I think that's where things like a comics archive would be, you know, I, I have been of the mind for a long time now that it's it's a self-perpetuating thing. You know, it's that once it's built, you know, it doesn't matter if there's five in there. The mere fact that it exists will then promote more to be created, which means it will, uh, it will justify its existence over and over and over again as that yes. wealth of of material becomes abundant yeah. and it inspires more people and so you just get this you get this like avalanche over years happening and i think i think that's what's important that there are more and more opportunities for people to be uh, exposed to the medium and it yes. doesn't it doesn't matter the material it doesn't matter where it falls on the spectrum as long as it is connected and it exists whether it's digital and whether it's whether it's physical it doesn't matter True that. I think it's important. It's very good that we have. It's great if it can be both. I feel like Absolutely. the digital access is so is so nice um, and important for young people, especially and remote uh, people with disabilities in any sense to be included, because digital hopefully can can uh, give another point of access. Well, that's what it is. It's it's it, you know yeah. that's really the only way you're going to be able to get some of this stuff because the way I look at it is. If I'm looking through some of my collection from some of the shit that I got six years ago, that stuff doesn't exist anymore. So it needs yeah. to be digitized because yes. particularly, you know, if we're talking comics that are made in a, in a zine format, very limited number, but to make sure that that work exists and then continues to exist as a, as a, a timestamp, you know, or not as much as a timestamp, but as a, as, a, as a marker in time 
for that particular creator. There'd be, I reckon there'd be so many creators who had created a comic and found it was incredibly tough or their life got in their way or for whatever reason and they never did anything about yeah. it. But then you have this yeah. physical document that sent that basically uh, represents well, a them. Digital document, yeah. Well, digital, or, but I mean, even you know, <laughs> once it's digital, like if it's if it's a if it's a physical object, and there's only so many that are, that have survived, or there's only one, you know. Yes. And let's say you have it in your collection, and then you digitize it. That means that everybody now has access to this person's work, and it also yes. it also makes them a, a, a contributor to the larger the larger community as such for like a better yes and and so that that when that opens up that larger community for the onlooker that is not someone who's contributed to that yet there can be possibilities that they can relate to absolutely and so for me that may have been zap in some way and for you know for someone else that may be transformers in some way when we see a small press version of this as well so i guess my interest with an archive is that there's a specifics to it Yep. That there's, um, you know, not that the term zine is the only term, but it's a good term. And I also know that that community, as it's understood, is more inclusive. Is also, you know, I love comic shops, but they are generally a sausage factory. And much like the, a lot of things that relate around collecting, a lot of even like yeah, yeah. I, I'm a collector, as you can see in my office of books, records, and things <laughs> of information that I can appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that, that that's a necessarily um, bad in any way, but the, and, and perhaps there's research to show that there are more um, of our gender that collect, but ultimately in the medium that's known as zines, there are a lot more diverse output. Yep. And this is something that is exciting that is great when you look at something like the future of comics or the future of a medium that we know is still so uh, eternally young yeah. that has so much potential to really grab on and, and, and change people's perspective of, of things, whether it's, yeah, whether it's memoirs and, and real life items um, on the, you know, that whole level, say like Safdar's work, that just gives us insight and educational input. Yep. Or it's literally on the diary level of someone, yeah, who was born differently, who's um, been encouraged to document some of their day-to-day living and that someone else can reach a, a greater depth of empathy for their position and therefore, yeah, have a little bit more empathy in everyday life and all these sorts of things. You're listening to Graphic Nature. We'll return right after this short message. Hi, hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Graphic Nature on whatever podcast service you use, uh, maybe even rate it while you're there. Uh, it'd be great if you could throw us some likes and or follows on Facebook, Instagram and uh, Twitter as well. For more info, check out their website, graphicnature.media. I appreciate you listening. Uh, thanks again, and enjoy the rest of the episode. There's a, there's a lot of really good diverse projects coming out of out of Europe uh, in particular, um, which is which is remarkable. If you if you want to talk about diversity uh, in, in terms of gender, in terms of race, um, there's some uh, amazing stuff. And and you know, the European in that sense, European comics have always been on there, you know, on the cusp of that kind of stuff, particularly yes. in the last few, last few years. Well, I, I absolutely agree. And um, I'm currently working on uh, a project that is about communities in Europe and communities in Australia of comics. The two projects I'm currently working on and putting out uh, under that imprint of Silent Army, uh, one is Opposites, which is um, scenes from Indonesia, Australia, Asia, Pacific region, if you like, the global south, however you might want to look at it, mm-hmm. and scenes from 
Europe, uh, the West, or that greater region on the other side of, of the Asian continent, and sort of looking at how people got together and how they do stuff. Uh, the other one is a local community-funded newspaper, and it is uh, poster images uh, made by people who are interested in talking about their experiences. So I've, the experience being lockdown in this in this uh, current time, which mm-hmm. seemed like a very uh, easy subject to discuss. <laughs> yeah. And the posters are by people that I know who are, I guess you could say, established artists. And the posters are also by half of them are by people who are kind of new to this. So yep. I'm encouraging them to make stuff and I share them together. But I guess I brought this up because you talked about some of the interesting stuff happening in Europe. And i got to say, putting together the anthology, which has eight Australian artists and eight Portuguese artists is the first issue. I'm yep. hoping to do more of these. So I'm going to call it volume one. Okay. <laughs> Opposite scenes from across the globe. And I'm not really thinking of the industry again here because it does, it's like I said, it's sort of secondary, but I'm thinking of the, you know, the sort of crossover of the medium and the conceptual comics. And I'm really excited about the project. As hard as it is to put together these sorts of things in your spare time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a really exciting project. Yeah. And I'm um, just finishing it up. Well, just talking with some of the artists today and just trying to maintain and, and get those pages and, and lay it out to send off next week. Wow. So that's um, and super I guess, fresh. Well, it's actually been in, in progress for a while, man. It's, um, but it is about to come out. When I say come out, it is small press, you know, it'll be a square bound uh, book mm-hmm. and, but I don't have distribution for it. I don't have support. Um, I have I have a little bit of support for the Portuguese artists, and it'll be distributed in Europe. Yep. But I'm collaborating with Chile Comcane, who I mentioned. But I'm already discussing like with this other group. So I guess I just wanted to sort of um, introduce you to some of my sort of um, European connections because you seem really interested in it. Well, I, I <laughs> like, was. I, funnily enough, I got hit up by a group called Europe Comics, and so they're based in Belgium. And they distribute a lot of stuff around the world from what I understand. Yes. And they're a distributor. So yes. And I guess that's a, there's a vast catalog there. And of course, and there's so much interesting work when you look at the Americas and the European continents and all the, all the good stuff in these countries. Yeah. So my ongoing thing is, is, is more about small press interests like myself and trying that don't necessarily have distribution outside of the area. And that's it's sort of sharing this um, this force and this energy and sort of the stuff between us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Like uh, a comics exchange very, program. In some way, you know, there's exchanging of and learning from each other yeah, and the yeah. artists as well. But there's a similarity in the conceptual part. And some of the artists, you could look at it and go like, I can get this, I can read this. And others are like, this is so broken down. Other than being in a book format, am I even reading a comic? Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and that questioning of what is a comic sort of thing, I quite enjoy. And that crossover, I guess. Oh, I change is, my mind every day. Nice. Pardon? I change my mind every day. I still, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just, you know, uh, you know, it's that whole thing of even seeing, uh, and I've spoken about it on the show before, you know, seeing seeing some artists do, you know, calling a, you know, a different image per page with a bunch of text. My, I have a hard time calling that a comic. Even though essentially, like I look at that and I go, that's a storybook. Yes. Right. There's still some visual narrative, but, but it's not like in my mind, it's like, it's not in, you're not actually generating action. 
So in terms of narrative, what it is, it is an image with some uh, representative information. And so I have a hard time looking at it going, that's a comic. If you look at it in the general yeah. context, you, you, could, you could very loosely call a storybook, let's say, for instance, a children's storybook. Yeah. You could very loosely call it a comic. But it's, you look at some of the, as you were mentioning earlier, you know, taking out the words from a comic, but leaving the balloons, is that still a comic? You know, because you know, I would say if you've got panels on a page, then you're talking sequential art. You're talking visual narrative. Sure. Right. Versus, and, and this, yeah. this, this, this genre of comics. That's what's exciting about it because it it has subgenres and so on. You could, you know, you can call music and comics a similar. You know, yeah, like absolutely. That's how rich comics are. They're absolutely. like music. There's so many varied forms of music, and someone goes, "This isn't a song," and it's like, "No, but it is still music." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And oh, so yeah, the point. comics, the comics you may enjoy it could be a song structure, and they may even have a chorus and a verse. But someone might like a comic that is perhaps, um, yeah, someone like Brian Eno that maybe turned music around, or popular music around on its head, and was like, "This is a sparse twenty-minute break of ambient soundscape." But to some, <laughs> it is still a song. It's perhaps an innovative song. But this subgenre of comics. You know, it's it's substantial, I think, still in the communication and using the medium, which is a very rich medium of storytelling, using pictures and words, right? But when we see a yeah, a silent comic, as they're kind of known, yeah, we get into murky territory, don't we? Because the, there's no words and then it's but, up but, to the but, artist as but, it were. But that that I don't mind so much because it's still you're still talking you know, there's still a visual start point and end point. So there's still narrative there. I haven't. I don't have a problem with that. But when you're talking about breaking breaking things down, where you're now imagining a whole page with text lining it, and then you turn the next page, and it's not necessarily narrative. It's a point to point to point to point. And yes, you could argue that's narrative. But my brain explodes because it's like, yeah, but is it really a comic? You know, and don't get me wrong, Michael. I I, I don't mind ambient music here and there, but I wouldn't actively choose to listen to it. So I don't... Well, I do. Or <laughs> noise music. If there's a similarity. If this is the part. I guess it's what you're ready for. And the joy, as I've learned, and I mentioned them again, people like Tim Danko flexed my mind in the comics realm, is to look for the parts that you enjoy. And, yeah, yeah. and I and I can't stress enough the enjoyment you can get from a small section that's experimental, but then you can put it in with a larger narrative that that's what you require on that day is to be reminded of the beauty of, yeah, the matching of words and pictures so perfectly and using these things we call speech balloons and so on, mm -hmm. as well as the emotive imagery that you can also the next day see with someone that uses the book form or the panel form or the, the ongoing um, image change to select a feeling that, yeah, is, is still a comic if they call it that. But that's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's what we tend to categorize on what we choose, like like so many things on a broader scale outside of, um, yeah. but it is a great discussion. <laughs> this is what's so uh, amazing about this medium because, you know, it is, it is literature really or poetry and things that are related to creation that are made for print, I, I assume. It's sort of what I see it as, is they're sort of made for print. I, 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 I agree with you in part. I, I think the, uh, just like my reticence to, to accept uh, a storybook as a comic, I, I do agree that the, the medium is 
as we draw drew earlier on the analogy of music, it's it's essentially exactly the same as far as I'm concerned because there are certain there are whole parts of the medium that I don't know that I can enjoy, but I can respect their position. Mm. You know, yes. so, you know, much yes, that's, a, that's a really good way. Yeah, much much like much like music, comics are effectively you know, the beauty is in the eye of the you know the reader. Yes, what you get away with. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, and if people dig it, and that's what they're colloquially you know end up being known as well then i suppose they are comics but ultimately at the end of the day i'm gonna look at something i'm gonna go well i like it or i'm gonna look at it and go i don't like it you know yes doesn't mean that it's not worthy or you know it's just my opinion well you'll love my new comic then won't you <laughs> <laughs> well it filled with questions in the in the writing sense as well as the visual sense but there's nothing wrong with it like you know and that's the other thing of course there is. No. you know it's it's I'm I'm now I really want to see it now. That's for sure. That said about archiving and digitizing of collections, we, you know, of course, it's a, an extracurricular element on something that's a bit of a struggle for most of us, which is completing things we're happy with yep. to a point where we don't want to go back and change them at all. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, when you digitize that, say you're happy with it, then you go like, okay, I want to make a PDF with it and share it. Then you want to change that again. That's a whole other problem, I suppose, for the creator. But the just the the process itself is enough to be happy with for me most of the time. It's just to be working on something that you care about, you know. Well, that's ultimately um, and for different yeah yeah for different reasons. Um, it's sort of an art box filled with comics, and so it is somewhere in these realms we've been talking about, um, you know, which is drawing, uh, printmaking, comics, but also something that's that could be formatted digitally. But it's, yeah, it's a book that's being launched uh, with the gallery I work with here in Melbourne, Backwards. Mm-hmm. And the work, is, but it's printed in Italy with an incredible publisher. So that's why I sort of bring this up as well. That you might be interested with uh, their work, Strain Visioni. They've printed great artists. I really admire like Patrick Kyle and Jesse Jacobs. I don't know if you know any of their work, but they're sort of, they're, they're conceptual comics, but maybe like myself and i haven't really finished a lot of my longer pieces but they're these artists i i i sort of see eye to eye with i think with their work i can really relate to is very graphic and perhaps some of it is not necessarily narrative driven but yes strain disney puts out a great array of hand-bound books and like artist objects and things that are uh, there's a lot of people who call themselves comic artists or cartoonists um, illustrators um, and they put out this sort of limited edition. They're mostly screen printed. Yep. And so this, yeah, this one they've done of mine, which is the first of at least two, like we're starting to work on another one. It's like 25 colors of screen printing on this delicious paper made in Italy that folds out. So there's four leporello, I think we call a concertina. Yep. And they're like these large sheets printed on both sides that fold up. And then they go inside this... Um, cover yeah right uh, box and so it's an art object when you 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 say conceptual comics can you just break down exactly what you mean well you know i'm looking at things that are carefully thought about Mm -hmm. and so you know there's a concept and so the narrative is one thing but i guess a conceptual comic may be based in a field of feelings uh, beyond the narrative okay does that make sense so it can be to me there's something about conceptual art that you can cross-reference there as well. I'm sorry, I keep thinking concept album and so my brain keeps thinking of, you know, a, a work 
that it goes essentially like, you know, you've got a concept album, which is a story start to finish and then the music is worked in there. But when you say concept comic, that's how I'm relating it. But what you just described is different to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's a term I'm using because for whatever reason, um, it's come up in our chat, but like conceptually thinking um, is different to thinking of market driven. Right. For example. Yeah. Right. And perhaps there isn't a genre for it. And I'm not trying to sort of categorize the type of comics, but I, I think what I, I use it in a way to say that it's um, somewhere in between things. So the work has a concept to it that could be discussed. Right, 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 right. Gotcha. Say for this comic of mine that I'm calling conceptual, it's the, the title of it is Stress Tests. And this the stress tests, there's four of them. And the four concepts is sort of taking from works that I've researched a little while I was in these stay-at-home orders, mm-hmm. uh, just like you were probably here. <laughs> Most likely, yes. Yes. And, fact, um, I and did, I, that's what happened, yeah. Yes. And I think um, having more time to perhaps go through some of these things and learn more about some of the constructs of my society and our society um, led me, led to this work. So the stress test is sort of like the four futures of capitalism, which I um, read this um, wonderful book uh, about, or many books on a similar subject and lots of critical thinking on sort of like, hang on, what do we do when the world stops like this? And what are the possibilities? And how could we conceptualize our reality after this? Mm-hmm. You know, and how could we see ourselves living after this? And here we are, you know, months later or something, still sort of asking this question, I suppose, as things stagger along (laughs) in the, in the sort of construct of what we knew. Yes. You know, a lot of those things are still there, but a lot of them are failing as well. And so the work, I guess, has this concept to it that perhaps we can discuss without seeing the work, but also when you see the work, it it has another um, feeling to it because the uh, illustration and the type of printing and the elements to the publication and how they're put together mm-hmm. also have a concept of like how you can look at the printed medium and how you know I've designed this thing to be looked at yeah. and how it's an art object if you like or something to be admired as a, a printed piece of uh, work mm-hmm. or uh, it's it could be admired as as some um, thought pattern and something to discuss and continue a conversation which yeah all books do of course yeah. but I don't know if I explained that very well but there's some there's something there that's a little bit more than just a start, middle, and an end. Yeah, right, right. Or maybe not more. It could even be less. It's just something else yeah. that's not necessarily a start, middle, and an end. And so let's say, for instance, for this book that you're working on, this project you're working on now, how do you... The stress tests. The stress tests. So yeah. what, um, what, was the, what was the inciting moment for, to create this project, this, this new bunch of work? Ah, true. Well, my, yes, you sort of got to this before you're asking with process. And um, I have different processes and I, I don't have sort of like a set way, but I definitely draw all the time, every day. Mm-hmm. I'm often grasping a pen like I am now talking to you. <laughs> yeah. And that is a common thing. So drawing a lot. This one really, this stress test started with uh, Strain Dizioni asking me to do something for them. Mm-hmm. So I looked at what they do. And like I said, they do a lot of screen printing, handbound artist editions. And, and I knew at the time that I was also meant to be um, over in Europe doing other projects. And I thought it would be great to do a, something that I can display more. So this is a book on some level 
in a, not so much a white cube, but even at a festival or some sort of um, event, mm-hmm. which happen regularly in that sort of environment, yep. uh, as well as here back home, where you could display it, whether it's larger size or usually you'd have it in frames or you may have a feature wall, you decorate the wall and you can hang pieces. And then there's the book itself. Or often it's just the book with a print behind it or something that people can, um, yep. you know, get in, inside your head. So the process was a bit of that thinking, how can I use these images on different scales? And the medium that they use with screen printing, which I'm familiar with and um, enjoy a lot, how can you break that down? Like I said, it's 25 colors and how much fun can you have with sort of like the palette? Yeah. And I've been enjoying as an image maker, like shapes and the process of um, shapes and colors and minimalizing, if you like, the, the feeling of an image. So, you know, even if you're drawing a leaf, a lot of people see the line drawing of what a leaf is. Others may see the color of what a leaf is, a leaf in different seasons or different times of the year, Mm -hmm. a leaf to geography. But then the feeling of a leaf doesn't necessarily have to have any of those things. Mm -hmm. And so this is sort of part of this study and and feeling and and vibometer getting deep when you're, you know, enjoying visual. But yeah, the narrative, like I said, also there's that as well as like breaking down. It is also a bit of research into the subject of the future post-capitalism and the idea of as as thrown around as the term is, you know, it's definitely something that is slowing down and the industrial era that we're part of sort of changing a lot. And as we, you know, use the internet a lot more Mm -hmm. and things like cryptocurrency becoming even more, you know, starting to actually become currencies in in countries in the world, we're seeing things change in front of us um, as they do in the history of our species in a short amount of time. Some of the the writing, stuff like that. So I'd be reading listening to heaps of shit, writing heaps of notes, and then chucking all that stuff together. (laughs) And then with this sort of format that came out that was experimental, I'd somehow edit it down to that by a date where I'd be like, look, I've got to try and finish this. Otherwise, I'll never finish it. Because I have quite a few things that I'm like, ah, fuck it. I can't finish it. (laughs) And it's like 80 pages deep and I just can't be bothered anymore because I've overdone it. Yeah, right. So my process nowadays is like, I must stop. Uh, I have to have a deadline. Otherwise, I'll never put it out. Great, because that was that was going to be my next question. So, how have you have you dealt with deadlines in the past? Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, I've put out, uh, you know, when we talk about longer bodies of work, or like, even like um, solo exhibitions or bodies of work that you know, a book is so similar to it, like a, an artist who's exhibiting, where you can, it's all looks the same, and you can feel it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and you can read through and not be like, oh, this has changed or this character doesn't make sense now or the background is like done differently, you know, mm-hmm. the lettering's not as hot, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's the consistency is so important. And as a reader, you know, I appreciate that. Uh, even if it's on real experimental comics, you're like, I, yeah, something was lost on that issue or something happened there and I'm not sure it is and, you know, so on. Uh, and as a creator, when I'm making comics, I, I have a lot of interest. As you can tell, my mind's firing away and I'm just sort of, sort of working on many things. And you'll lose a project for six months, a year. And then when you come back to it, like, ooh, I've got to redraw that first yeah. chapter again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and some I've even finished where I'm like, I am redrawing them and changed it. But then there's that whole motivation of like, do I want to share this? Do I want someone... Do I want to put it out? Do I want someone else to put it out? Do I want to try and share it with a greater audience? You know, what do you do with this sort yep, of thing? Yep, yep. Or can I just use it as like another box of stuff to pull upon when I'm asked to do a project? I can just pull out. I've just got all these files. I can go, I'll just use this. You know what I mean? That works for me too. <laughs> Why the hell not, I say? Having a stockpile of work that you can draw upon should anything come up. And it's no different from an inventor having, you know, stacks of stuff in their garage and being able to go, oh, mm. hang on, I've got this. 
I'll just use it in, and I'll just tweak it. Many comp- many companies and and um, individuals have done that throughout time. There's no reason why artists mm, can't do it. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's a thing about comics like that that I love where you'll see uh, someone's work from years earlier um, that they may not have put out. I mean, they might have a, a platform where people are appreciating the work and then when you see something earlier, like, oh, that's got so much more in it. Yeah. But for some reason it wasn't ready and, you know, it wasn't seen. If they're lucky. The comics industry, though, particularly the commercial one in the States, has, is, has you know, most of the stuff that have been printed, particularly story-wise, um, it's all reappropriated. The amount of the amount of creators who uh, were indie creators at the start and had written stories for Batman or and been rejected, they just changed the names. You know, change the names, change the designs, and yeah. there's your book. Yeah. You know, so there's no different, as far as I'm concerned, like it doesn't bother me if that's the case. If you're creating stuff and then yeah. someone turns around and is willing to give you money so you can survive and you've got something stockpiled yeah. and you turn around and you say, here you go, I've got this. And they go, great, we'll publish it. Why the fuck not? Yes, absolutely. And why the fuck not even have something uh, similarly like they do in the in the United States where they, yeah, reappropriate something on it like that's already been done, you know, yeah. just change it a little yeah. bit. Uh, because there's there's always a means to have more of it, I guess, is, is part of that philosophy, isn't it? It's interesting to see what I've noticed too in the last maybe 10 years is a lot of the crew that were around in the 90s uh, are now, because there is now a resurgence in interest with comics on a local level, You know, some of these older crew are coming out and bringing out some of that old stuff, creating new stuff, and I figure, fucking more power to you. You know what? Yeah. Why not? Why not? Why, not? Why not? And it's there's so much scope in the medium because they're you know just as we were touching before more experimental things whatever you can get away with yeah go for it sure <laughs> and that's you know there's enough of that and you know, you know I always feel that it's it's making a connection if people are enjoying this sort of work it's it's helping that connection I guess there there is a whole quagmire of uh, things to discuss in that area of of a market which. <laughs> You know, it's beyond, you know, I, I guess I'm reading stuff that is available in the market, but I'm also interested in the obscure, the experimental, the crossover and things that are beyond a market that are that are drawing, that are uh, unique insights. Um, and this is where my love of publishing in general is, is part of my comics, is that the, the interest of that work that you could never see published because maybe it is just copying Felix the cat with large dongs on every page, <laughs> or maybe it is, you know, um, plagiarism of Garfield, you know, re-quoting prison rape slogans, it's just obscure stuff. That's just like, <laughs> no, no, you're not going to see this in a shop mostly. And these are off the top it. of my head that exist yet, but you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> But, but there's there's someone making them. So it's more about the person making stuff. And yeah. similar to the imprint um, Silent Army that I've been sort of, you know, doing for some time, mostly for almost 20 years, is just sort of bringing those two things together, if we can, of where we have, you know, that mainstream comic that you understand. Yeah. There's also this other version of it that some people would say is the same thing. And yeah. look, here it is right next to it even, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's free because, yeah. you know what, the medium of print is, some people say it's dead, but actually where we live, there's a local printer still doing this stuff. Yeah. Or did you know we can even print it ourselves, et cetera. Uh, I think, it's just I, yeah, yeah. I, I think that that whole argument for me is you know, print will never die. It, it is, it, you know, I mm. still think... You know, when you talk film, that's a little different because you still need you still need manufacturing. But print, 
I think will never die. Uh, it'll go by way of, you know, uh, it'll be it'll be a vintage medium, but it's still going to, as long as they're producing paper, print will still be around. Mm-hmm. As a, as far well, as when you say they're producing paper, that's, yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean, the other week I ran into uh, an old colleague, Sam Emery, down at Tree Paper and him making his own paper, which that's something I've never done. I always uh, love that thought of recycling other papers to paper and then printing on it. And you've got to love seeing that because they'll, I would hope, just like yourself, that there's going to be people always wanting to do this, right? Yeah. To the access of print. Mm-hmm. Um, and similar to drawing, I've said to myself and other friends in frenzied, um, excited moments when you're in the midst of a project, that drawing, you know, they, some people could say is not necessary, but even uh, walking to get water leaves a drawing or, you know, the things that are left in the sand by an animal is a drawing. So it's just that you sort of look, how you look at the world. Yeah, yeah. it's all a matter of Of course, print will never die, but print and, and the industry may certainly be dead already, oh, dude. I know, but, but that's what I mean. Like it's, you know, in, in I'm talking mainly from the perspective of, you know, I will still be able to draw a, draw something and I, I'm essentially printing it. And by some fashion, yeah. I will be able to publish it, whether it be myself, get someone else to do it. Yes. I don't think that will die. I don't, think that, I don't yes. think that process will die. But in terms of large companies mass producing, at some point that may evaporate, you know, and like yeah. you say – you know, it's already on a downward, downward, you know, spiral. But, but I, you know, people were saying this in the eighties. People were saying this in the nineties, and you yeah. know, paper books and comics and stuff are still vibrant. They're still happening, and there are people perhaps who, even more than yeah, even that time. If if we look at that, yeah, I, I'm sure market research would show there's some <laughs> uptake on interesting publications i think yeah i think i think people are are really starting to shy away from their screen time yeah so i wouldn't be surprised if market research does show that uh in in terms of print versus digital in terms of your 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 making are you are you are you mainly an analog or traditional artist or is it or are you finding a happy meeting between uh, working in digital uh or using programs drawing programs versus drawing with ink and pencil uh, for drawing, I use both. Like I said, I always uh, I have a lot of pens around me. I always draw, but I do have very new bars charging at the moment. I have been taken by um, the uh, Procreate. I do love using that for drawing and coloring and, and prep. But I love, I've always liked all mediums and, you know, of creation. Like I do, and same with um, painting. Like I have, you know, friends in that who are swear by only using a certain medium and i guess i'm one of those people who likes to think that it's more about the the work that you're creating Mm -hmm. not about the tools and i know they are relevant when you can't get that certain image like if you're painting a large piece and there's a fade in there that it's it's quite difficult to render on a certain surface unless you have certain tools so obviously you might have to change the process then and that's sort of something to enjoy so you know, not trying to be difficult, but I don't have a real technical do's and don'ts for myself with the process other than just drawing all the time. And I definitely have physical stretches that enable the body to continue that because I find the older you get, um, you know, drawing all, I just, like I said, like drawing at a desk, there's just, there would have to be a quarter of the time preparing the space, you know, preparing your body to do it and the maintenance of the mind even because I need to also go look and, chill of nature and walk this i love walking the streets and looking at my environment as well but um drawing with the pen usually is where i start 
And then if I'm going to use digital tools, like say for this last project, I just photograph it with the, with the um, iPad that I use for it. And then I'll trace over those in a higher res and get oh, away wow. from print. But sometimes I just mix it up. Like, yeah, sometimes I'll scan it. I'm still got an old scanner here that I'll, you know, but it only scans, you know, sort of 300 DPI. So I don't have a full professional setup for right. large scale print. But in that case, you'll just go to someone you know to prepare it for that. But mostly drawing a lot is my go-to with a pen of any sort. And over the last 10 years, I've been smashed by the um, mechanical pencil again. I think it was hanging out with Grant and a few other friends and we'd draw Grant Gronwald, that is. I don't know if you've ever uh, know their work, HTML Flowers, oh, yep. a great influence in a, as a peer on, on a sort of, on another level there and a great writer as well. But um, the mechanical pencil, there's something about that that can still be scanned and has another texture. Again, that my work isn't, a lot of it isn't available on a greater platform as comics. Um, some of the work digitally prepared is great yep. to just be able to share. And I do aim to want to do more of that. Just like say with collecting and archiving and researching, it is really nice to think of documenting the works. So they're both good. You know, whatever you can do is, is usually mm -hmm. my argument. Problem with digital, of course, is that well, I guess I do this with drawing as well. I use a light box a lot and you redraw. And I love, like I said, minimalizing and redrawing. So I use the sort of reference of a leaf, but say I'm drawing a portrait of someone, which I've gone through in my interest of drawing and painting is doing it as realistic as possible. And then breaking it down so I can see what you look like, Zoran, and what your resemblances are. And I've done this as well for paid positions and also just as an interest is to do portraits and caricatures using as little as possible. And for me, it's a great interest to be able to do it quickly, and effectively as a image that's drawn that shows your character and what you look like and perhaps where you are depending on the you know the situation with as little as possible and a lot of that takes a lot more practice and, and refining I, I i understand that takes many 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 years of uh, of of working and and honing your craft because i seem to see it a lot you know you, you start out and you try and do something as 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 detailed as possible. And it has happened. I've seen it with so many, so yeah. many makers, creators, artists, and over time it's how can I get away with conveying the most with the least amount of, you know, work, not yes. necessarily from, from the standpoint of, I really don't want to do the work, but more so I want to, I want to push myself yeah. more. And, you know, and you do see that in, in many artists in comics working uh, even professionally in the States and, and in, in Europe. Well, it's enjoyable. Well, this, this process, which is enjoying, like I said, is sort of, I guess, in summarizing what we're talking about, like conceptual, and it's just right, sort of like right. a mental process. You know, it's relating to something. Hey, this portrait is six lines on a page, but I can see it's our own yeah, likeness. Right. You know what I mean? And this is sort of going back to your question before and um, thinking of conceptual is, is I guess that's what um, is, is a better answer is that comics are also a mental concept when you're thinking of conceptual comics. So there's a, you know, there's a lot to be said about work that is for another artist or work that is for yep. anybody. And uh, I guess that's something to think about there too, with what conceptual comics are. I guess that's what I'm trying to um, articulate on a bit more, you know, with uh, mentioning <laughs> that to you and saying, because I don't, I don't usually use that word a lot, but when you brought up the future of comics, um, which was some time ago, 
as well, preparing the, the presentation and the chat and having a yarn about Australia in my knowledge. Usually I just ask to talk about um, Silent Army and the community that I've been part of and some of the, the nice crossovers of comics and street stuff and the things that are sort of yep. put under that imprint. But preparing to go to that Fumetto Festival and knowing that so much of that already exists, I was trying to draw out things that were more the sort of the mental process here in this part of the world and part of the what I can understand of the community I'm part of as well. And I think I put some of that in that anthology down, down under, which is there is a, not that depression is a term that is always easy to explain either, but there is a is an underdog element to Australia that tries super hard and pretty annoying or can just sort of go under the radar and be like really hard working. And even in the comics industry per se, there's, there I is. think both of those, you know, Australians yeah. know both of those things, yeah. like being one or the other. And I was trying to just come up with some yeah, conceptual theories on, on what I know about. Um, I, I find that generally the reason why there are so many Australians who are who effectively play the the part of the underdog in whatever whatever industry or realm that they work in or or create their art in, it's got more to do with I don't want to be torn yeah. down because I know I'm I'm good but I'm happy with the level I'm at and I'm just going to keep working and I don't care about all that other dumb shit because yeah. it's not important and you know the argument could be that yes it is important to them but but it's you know, it's a lot of it also is falling into the trap of big noting yourself only to have people tear you down is not a nice thing. So why not just yeah. put your head down, do the yeah. stuff, and then if if people uh, recognize it, great. And if they don't, I'm still happy with where I'm at. That's good when they're happy with that, but I think people aren't happy with where they're at and they can be upset about it or just insularly on a on a first world sort of level depressed about it. And that can be an issue in terms of the lack of lack of recognition or lack of opportunity, perhaps, and whether they blame either geography or that tall poppy right. syndrome or different things. But I felt like that was a little different, perhaps, to Europe in my experience, even to um, my understandings in Asia as well with with comics and um, and more so when I say comics, the comics that I mentioned, yeah. which are the experimental and perhaps related to. Just being an artist, because comics, you know, to me is just an art form. What do you do? You know, for a long time, I couldn't say I'm an artist. I might say oh, I draw a lot, or before I was a professional artist, I, that was what uh, I registered as. I would, you know, I was a cook, you know, and I could, I could yeah. just say that's what I do. And for a long time, I was quite shy to say, even as somewhat an introverted person, but I'm I'm proud of myself and proud mm -hmm. of the, where I'm from. I would rarely say that I'm an artist. It would be easier to say I make comics. It would be easier <laughs> to say I draw. Um, but the art thing is sort of misunderstood on another level in this country. And, and I think in Europe, they're like, they see comics yeah. as one of the art forms. You know, it's, it's like dance. Mm -hmm. It's like song. Yeah. It's an art form. Whereas here, it's literary in a sense, but it's bookmaking uh, or the comics. But when we look at art, it's, well, as we've seen in this pandemic as well, it's just not a real job, even though the, the yeah, facts yeah. are there that it is as far as what a job yeah. is and what labor is, but it is still part of, you know, comics as, as an art form is misunderstood as well. And I think, I guess, as I was trying to bring across in that publication as well. And when you mentioned before that, 
that presentation, the future of comics. It wasn't so much about the the talks or having like an answer to the future of comics. It was just like, you know, uh, investigating it. And perhaps part of what we're discussing and getting closer to realizing is that, yeah, it is worthwhile and it is relevant to talk more about it and be proud Mm -hmm. of being creative and being able to share that. And so even if someone, that 99% of it, I'm like, this is pretty garbage, but I'm going to look for like the 1%. I'm like, fuck man, magic, human spirit. Yeah. Fucking be proud of that and remind them. Yeah. You're helping out everyone. Obviously they're not changing the world, but in every kind act that works. And that's what art is part of, you know? So this is kind of a cool realization when you get to that point. But quite technically in our society, those making those ends meet is a big part of it. So people are never part of the game, let alone get out <laughs> yeah, of the game or yeah. whatever, right? I do, I, I do agree with you. I think yeah. uh, for many years, I had a different perspective that wasn't necessarily positive towards others that are doing something that they love. Yeah. Yeah. They are completely aware of their failings when it comes to what they're doing, but they're still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the fact is that they've created this work. They are now able to move on to whatever next step that they want to go on. That is a, that is a healthier way to look at it for sure. Oh, and that's, that's, that's how I meant to, to actually relay that. But, but, uh, and you'll enjoy it more and everyone's better off. Absolutely. Yeah. Michael, it's been it's been spectacular talking to you about comics. Well, I, I want to say thanks. It was great to chat with you. Thank, thank you very much. And, and thanks so much for being part of the show too, for making the time, for sharing all your thoughts. Uh, it's been rad and, and I hope that uh, we do get a chance to actually speak in person at some point in the fucking future. Either way, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again. Thank you. Love your work, man. Catch you soon. <laughs> See you, Michael. Thanks heaps. <laughs> That's the end of this episode of Graphic Nature. Thanks for listening. If you could please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use, it'd be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, And for any more information about the show, please visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing into your web browser or search engine graphicnature.media. Thanks very much. And until next time, enjoy the comics you read and read the comics you enjoy. Thanks very much. Credits. Written, produced, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Editing and audio production, Sean O'Reilly. Additional editing, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation, Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham vs. Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast.